This episode contains traffic noises, so please use caution if you're listening while driving. Getting old is hard. Duh, right? Well, all right, respect your elders, right? That's something that they teach us early. You know, our elders are wise and they've seen it all, and we should revere their experience in the hopes that some of their wisdom will be passed on to us, which is true. But we're not taught about the indignities of aging. You know, despite all the encouragement to show respect, the world is not made for the elderly. And as our youthful abilities dull and fade, our strength, our hearing, our eyesight, the world becomes a lot harder to navigate. This time on Reading Out Loud, Blind Spot by Robert Duffer, featuring Natalie Duke, Bob Halsey, Scott Miner, and Randy Steinmeier. The mark was still frozen. The defroster blew open a set of eyes on the bottom of the windshield. Wayne swiped the ice off the dash and peered up the stairs to his apartment. He should have been inside, under his electric blanket, watching season three of the MASH videos again. Remote in one hand, Hawkeye teeny in the other. But it was the first Friday of the month, and first Fridays were pool with Wally. Promise was a promise. And the little retard would be waiting. Those cocksuckers hadn't even de-iced the steps. What if he'd been holding on to Bridget? They both would have fallen. Time to move to the ground floor anyway. Some place with a garage. I put it in gear and eased out of the lot. It was a slam from behind, a brief fishtail. Jammed the brake with both feet and came to a stop beside the parkway. Well, there was no one else around. Now he was hot. He tossed his hat onto the seat and got out. On the rear quarter panel of his Navy Grand Marquis was a white scar. In the lot nearest the corner was a snow-covered white Hyundai. Had he nicked it? How the hell did he done that? Ice? They didn't salt the steps, they wouldn't salt the lot. He considered leaving a note, but what did it matter? That piece of shit Jap job hadn't moved all winter anyway. Hey, Uncle Wayne. Get in, Wally. Wally closed all the vents that faced the passenger seat. He held up a plastic shopping bag. Two coconut custard cream pies from Mom. She wants you over for President's Day. We're, we're dressing up, but she won't tell me uh, who she's going as. I, I bet it's Fillmore or Taylor. It's definitely a, a wig, because they're fun to dress up as. I doubt Harrison. He set the pies between his boots and buckled himself in, his Gore-Tex coat emitting a sigh. His glasses were already fogged. You want to come over? I'll tell her that you were wearing her hat. Everything okay? Wayne nodded. It was an ugly knit hat in blue and orange, with a C in the center that looked like a Pac-Man. Well, the knitting had been good for Bridge. Not much else you can do cooped up in a hospital bed. They got the Bears colors right anyway. They sat in the usual booth in the corner, away from the ceiling fans. 
The place wasn't the same without Roberta, who still hadn't come back from her foot surgery. There's no banter with this one. Wayne ordered a screwdriver and a liver sausage with extra pickles. Wally got the chicken noodle with chicken strips and a dipping cup of melted butter. The waitress hollered at the cook to see if the soup was on. She rolled her eyes as she sat in the booth across from the other waitress, who was doing a crossword and eating soup. Wayne heard her say, Morons. Place was empty. This place is goddamn depressing, Wayne said. Why? For $5.99, you get super salad, coffee or soft drink, meal and rice pudding or jello. You never complained before. I'm not complaining, you prick. What did the doctor say? Nothing. <laughs> I don't know much. Wally snorted, nudging his glasses up the bridge of his nose. But I know that doctors don't say nothing. Doc said what he always said. Refill the prescriptions, take all the meds, eat better, see people, but stay out of the tavern. Nothing that helped. You like the box set? It's pretty great, isn't it? Outtakes and uh, a commentary, like when they were talking about how they didn't use a laugh track in the operating room, episode 19, season 3, because death isn't funny, even if Hawkeye had lines like, all we want to do is bring him democracy and white bread, the inalienable right to an early coronary while you're sitting. While he stopped. Hmm. She really loved Hawkeye. Don't you start. She said that he made all the other actors around him better, and that's why Trapper left and that Henry left, because that the writers were writing for Hawkeye. You know, Mom... Mom would have liked her to make it through Christmas, too. She was... She was like Hawkeye. She made everyone Wayne better. Wayne slammed the table. What's wrong with you? You really are a goddamn retard! The soup spoon bounced off the table and onto the tile. The waitresses shut up. Wayne held up his empty glass. Hey, you working here, toots, or what? He couldn't look at Wally's dumb-stricken face. Wally quickly retrieved the spoon and held it up like Wayne held up his glass. His jacket squished like fat. Well, take off your goddamn jacket, would you? Wally did as he was told. Bridge would have pinched Wayne's arm, would have left him microwavable meals still in the box on his dinner plate until he made it up to Wally with a, a game of pool or an old movie or a drive. He could feel Wally glancing up at him from the napkin barriers he was creating so his chicken wouldn't touch his fries, wouldn't touch his cream corn. The kid, he was almost 50 for Christ's sake. So he was, what, 40-something when Bertie legally adopted him because some cocksuckers at the halfway were making him go door-to-door selling bunk subscriptions? The kid just needed a little reassurance to calm him down. He'd lost an aunt or what he called an ant. And Bertie had been so generous with the pies and casseroles. And he was right. Bridgie did make everyone better. Everything okay over here? The waitress asked, her eyebrow raised in maternal judgment, her painted face an affront to good taste. It would be if you did your goddamn job and got him his cup of melted butter. She walked away, muttering, Asshole. Wayne called out after her. Oh, not a moron anymore, huh, toots? I still got it. Ears like a dog, Wayne told Wally. So what do you want to play? 
Poison eight. Nine ball, what? They finished their coffee and rice pudding as Wally theorized a new strategy for running the break on Poison eight. Instead of making up for Wally's half of the tip, Wayne ripped the dollar bill in half and left it on the table. You're okay to drive because you're not supposed to be drinking or you'll end up in the hospital again. It was orange fucking juice. Mm. Okay. You're okay. So, let's do the best of seven poison eight to start. Hope the TV is working and Drew Carey wears bow ties on the prices right. Real clown, Mom calls him. Wally buckled himself in. Wayne had just pulled the car out of the spot when he heard the unmistakable bang, the sudden jolt of backing into another car. The screech pierced his nerves like biting into an aluminum can. He tasted metal on his tongue, then bit down on the part that was bleeding until it stopped. What'd you do? Wally turned his head side to side, his coat crumpling and inflating, a man-sized primer button that Wayne was ready to squeeze. Wait, what are you doing? Where, where are you going? Well, we have to tell. He knew the station wagon was there. He'd stopped short in time before shifting from reverse to drive. But how had he banged it? He hadn't confused the pedals or accelerated in reverse. The wagon hadn't moved. The mark hadn't grown. The tires hadn't skidded. <laughs> it was probably the waitresses anyway, Wayne said. Wally was not amused. Wayne reassured him that there was no damage, then brought back in the bit about last night's news, uh, the, the black ice, scourge of the roads. He knew he was reacting to Wally's overreaction, just how he downplayed things with Bridge to calm her down. The two dings in one day? He couldn't remember the last time he'd had a ding or anything. The indignity of age, Bridge called it. Losing things you'd forgotten you had. Opening a jar. Walking downstairs. Breathing. But you don't forget how to drive. He pulled into the rear part of the adjacent lot, free of cars and obstacles. He checked every mirror, threw down his gloves, and peeled off the leather steering wheel cover. The wheel felt strange, flimsy like the cover was the last thing keeping it from coming undone. He rubbed the wheel as if to twist it back into shape. Twist everything back into the shape it was. The Department of Motor Vehicles in the state of Illinois requires senior citizens to take a vision test when renewing their licenses every four years. I'm not a senior, you prick. Yeah, but you always get the senior discount at the picture show, and you, and you don't work. Hey, paper boy, you don't work. Mm. A retiree is not necessarily a senior. I gave my 35 years to the U.S. of A. I thought you was on disability. Well, just shut up and help me out here. It might be the brakes. He put the car in gear and let it coast over a few parking spots, then tapped the brake, the car lurching accordingly. Then he slammed the brake with both feet. Both men hit the dash. <clears throat> eh, brakes work, Wayne said. Wally was not laughing. His glasses were cockeyed and he stared incomprehensibly at Wayne before riding them. He adjusted the belt, clung to the door handle, and retreated into his jacket like a turtle. I should take the bus. 
Wayne told him to relax. It was less than a mile to the Y. He knew it wasn't the car. What then? What then? Operator error? The doctor's was worse than the mechanic. They'd treat him like an old car, take him apart to figure out what could be salvaged, then try to put him back together again. A car is never the same after it gets broken down. Could it be my eyes? Wayne asked, rubbing him. You have retinitis pigmentosa? What? It's a degenerative disease of the retina where you don't know that you're losing your vision because your mind fills in the blank spots. Wally had seen a program on Nova a few weeks back featuring a young guy who wrote a memoir as he was going blind. And they gave a perspective from the viewer's eyes as he walked down a side street, the image pixelating into 1,000 bulbs. And over time, those bulbs start going out on the periphery at first, and a dark spot would appear on the sidewalk, but then it would be blurred over to look like what else was around. More bulbs went out, until soon the mind filled in so many blank spots that you'd have a false picture of reality, until you tripped over a crack that was in the blind spot. Mind fills in, was not there, Wally said with awe. Then glancing at Wayne, It's not, it's not genetic contagious, so I can't catch it from you. I don't know, Wall. I hope not. He still had the same prescription for night glasses. The doc had no reason to give him a vision test. Until now. Was that the next thing to go? So, what? uh, Things are there, then they're not, Wayne said. I guess so. Wayne proposed a test to jot down everything in the parking lot and compare the two lists. He handed Wally a napkin from the glove box and broke a pencil in two. Writing things down was a strategy Bridge used whenever he was being stubborn. Only he could convince himself that he was wrong. (laughs) Felt good listening to her now, being proactive. Wally was still scribbling furiously as Wayne finished his list of 12 objects, from the handicap sign to the empty shopping cart corral. Wally had three columns and was on to the other side, noticing a pile of salt crystals and a lone shoe frozen in the curb. He hadn't noticed the shoe. Enough, enough, just read them. Everything Wally read, Wayne could see clearly now. Had seen them before, he just hadn't noticed them. The good feeling faded. Could his mind be filling in the blanks? Or maybe it was Wally's screwy mind, his, his Asperger's. What'd you get? Wally asked. That's nah, not important. Wayne crumpled the napkin and put the car in gear. Wally picked it up and scanned it. Oh my God. I'm driving with a blind man. Wally unbuckled himself and scrambled over the bench seat into the back, leaving a snow boot print of de-icer salt on the seat. Come on, relax, Wally. I don't have your... Uh, Tendinitis pigmenta. Wayne pulled out of a lot, double-checking his mirrors and traffic in both directions before easing onto the side street. Everything's fine. It's Friday, and we play pool on Fridays. And here's one. Wally said from the back seat. 
There was a parallel spot on the street so wide between the foreign jobs on either side that he probably could have just slid in there without backing and forwarding. He pulled it up, aligning the rear wheel on the passenger side with the rear fender of the forward car, just like his brother taught him. God damn, he'd been doing this since he was 12, and this is the first time since then that he thought about what could go wrong. He remembered when Carl Jacobson jumped the curb parallel parking outside the tavern. Car hit the stop sign and knocked the trash can into the door. The guys helped him in, propping him up by the elbows, and Carl was still shaking after the second and third drink. The worst part was that the guys didn't make fun of him. There'd been other signs of Carl's decline, the repetition, the forgetfulness, the mystery bruises, the busted garage door. They felt bad for him. Anyone else, they would have run out of the tavern with their harassment. Their pity made it worse. They pitied what they feared, becoming dependent on other people. Carl knew he'd lost something he'd never get back. The bus was too much walking, so he took cabs from then on out. But who, living on a pension and social security, can afford a cab everywhere they go? No one volunteered to drive him, and Carl wasn't going to ask. So they stopped coming. Next time they saw him, it was to stash a bottle of cutty into his casket. A car honked behind him. Uh, we'll uh, go in the garage. Keep the mark warm, he said, pulling into the queue for the garage. You hate lines, Wally said. What's your rush? The steering wheel was slick with perspiration. He used the sleeve of his jacket to dry it off. It would be fine. He'd done it thousands of times. He bypassed two spots sandwiched by other cars. As the car ascended the structure, he noticed Wally in the rear view, motionless, his blue and orange turtle head sunken into his shoulders, his puffy coat up all around his ears, hiding and afraid. He knew the feeling. He wasn't torturing the kid. He was teaching him a lesson. Like Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. What else can you do? There was a spot on the left at the end of the parking spaces where one lane went up to more parking and the other descended to the exit. The spot was open on the far end so he could take it plenty wide to not clip the car parked on the nearest side. He tapped the brakes once to get any moisture off, then eased it around slow and wide. It was a flicker of red. He recognized the maroon sedan too late to avoid the accident. There was a hard thump in his back, then the constant dead blare of one of the vehicle's horns. The cement pylon at the end of the parking aisle had blocked his view of the car that had been approaching in the exit lane. His passenger side headlight had hit her passenger side headlight. He must have swung out too wide. And the woman stared at him across their hoods. She looked like he felt. A full body, what the fuck? A pickup truck zipped around the turn, screeched and slammed into the rear of the sedan. The impact knocked Wayne's car loose. It formed a T with the passenger door of the sedan. 
The woman looked from her rearview mirror to her right at Wayne, then laughed incredulously, mouthing something Wayne couldn't make out. The man in the pickup truck, wearing a beard and a bear's cap, ran over to the woman, who waved him off, still shaking her head. The horn from the sedan blared through the parking garage. Wayne looked in his rear view for Wally, but there was nothing but twin rows of safely parked cars. The pies had splattered coconut on the glove box and the floor mat. Wal? Wally! You okay? He couldn't hear anything but the horn. The man from the pickup slammed his fist on the lady's hood. The horn stopped. The woman stood, one arm on the top of the door, the other on the roof of the car. She had on a long coat with a fur-lined hood, shiny earrings, diamonds. Oh, God damn. Insurance premium! She and the man stared at Wayne. The back door clicked open. <clears throat> there was grunting. A turtle-shaped mass arose in Wayne's periphery. Wayne got out and stood like the woman, one arm on his door, the other on the roof, looking at the triangle of victims. Is everyone okay? The permanent motor vehicle should revoke your license! While he blurted, he backed up, his hands out. You're a road hazard! The car is a lethal weapon! The woman assured everyone that everything was fine. No one's hurt. It was an accident. She said, her hands up in Wally's direction. Dude, relax. The guy from the pickup truck said to Wally, who kept backing up until he was in the roving lights of the security vehicle. Wally shrieked and pinballed between the stalled cars until finally, finding no place truly safe, he collapsed in a cross-legged heap between the security jeep and the mark. The security guy radioed it in and asked what the hell happened. Uh, he, he's with me. He's just a little jumpy, scared, Wayne said. He's a good kid. He's just a little delicate. Just go easy on him. The security guard glanced at the man and woman, then nodded slowly at Wally. Wally scrambled into the back seat of the Jeep. The drivers assessed the damage. The sedan, a Nissan Maxima, bore the brunt of it, her rear fender dented. The headlight busted and the front quarter panel scraped. I don't know what the hell happened. I really don't, Wayne said as he surveyed the damage. I haven't been in an accident since I was a kid. His front license plate had been knocked off and the Semper Fi frame was mangled on the ground. It was quiet again and the roving orange lights of the security vehicle made everything that much more muted. The man propped up his bear's cap and looked at the woman who studied Wayne with soft compassion. The arches of her eyebrows deflating a little, her lips pressed together. Are you okay? Now there was something he was supposed to be doing. He knew he looked confused, like a goddamned Alzheimer's, like goddamned Carl Jacobson. He'd been betrayed by his body, by the mark, by bridge. He opened the passenger side door and sat down. The cop came and the security guy related what had happened and what Wally had said to him. Wayne's insurance card was expired, so the cop took his license. He would impound the car unless Wayne could get someone to come get it. 
You can't drive, the cop said to his notebook. Wayne looked out from the passenger seat at the slice of gray sky through the cement walls of the garage. Ah, uh, you can't take the guy's car, the man from the pickup said. He added, It's his car. No one wanted to file any charges, but the cop had a public duty to fulfill. Wayne was a vehicular nuisance. And I've been called a lot of things, you prick, Wayne said. I got ears like a dog. No one heard him. The woman said that after her appointment, she could meet the pickup man back here and follow the man and Wayne back to Wayne's, then take the man back to his car. Cop said it was fine with him. But what about him? I'll take care of Wally, Wayne said. Don't worry about him. I'm talking about you. The cop said. Wayne looked up at him. A bottle of whiskey rage lit up his veins. He held the top of his hand like Bridge would do. The woman and man repeated their plan, but Wayne refused, choking on their pity. Now, I've put you out enough. I'll find someone. He held up his cell to the cop, who told the security guard to park it, give Wayne until tonight, and then have it towed. Wally stepped out of the back of the Jeep. He paused, wanting to say something, then moved on to the stairwell so he could be far away from the cars clearing out. He stopped at the door and called across the garage. We'll see you at President's Day then. And waved goodbye. Wayne walked the few blocks to the tavern. The neons were off. Inside was dark. There was an orange City of Chicago Liquor Commission violation placard sealed over the lock on the door. He pressed his face to the window as if everyone were having a joke with him. He took out his phone and his glasses. What is going on around here? Wayne! <clears throat> How you doing, Wayne? You ready to lose the cribbage again? Hey, Wayne. You okay? What the fuck is this? The Liquor Commission. Larry told him Bobby served a girl who was under 21. She hid in the bathroom when the guy ordered two beers. It was busy. Bobby never noticed her until she walked out and the plainclothes walked in. Held the goddamn door open for her. It was a setup. We closed for a week. Figured he'd do it in February when it's slow. Maybe you'll get the goddamn shitter fixed. <laughs> Wayne didn't know what to say. The tavern had never been closed, even when he was a kid, when the neighborhood was factories and firemen, long before the yuppies and the college bricks. Hey, how you doing? You know, Janice has been trying to get a hold of you. If I gotta eat one more of those goddamn lasagnas. <laughs> Wayne couldn't tell him about the car. What would everybody think if the first news of Wayne since the funeral was that he lost his car? They wouldn't want to feel bad about not giving him rides, so they'd avoid him, and he'd avoid them. A bus stopped at the intersection, its noise muffling out Larry's tavern gossip. Wayne shut the phone. He peered down the street to the bus stop in front of the Y. There was a lone figure bundled in the shelter. He pulled his hat down snug and headed to Wally. Bertie could help. The three of them they could go for a drive.
Blind Spot by Robert Duffer. Reading with me this time was Natalie Duke, Bob Halsey, Scott Miner, and Randy Steinmeier. Reading Out Loud is produced by Ryan P. Duke, Scott Miner, and myself. Our sound designer is Scott Miner at Lucky Dog Audio Post. Our editors are Gwen Fulcher and James Tania. Our editorial consultant is Simon A. Smith. Gwen Fulcher also manages our social media, and our reader in residence is Eleni Papa George. This episode is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors at Patreon.com, including Randall Anderson, Pat Duke, and Will Mitchke. If you enjoy our show and you'd like to become a sponsor, please do so at patreon.com slash reading out loud. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash reading out loud. Season three of Reading Out Loud is coming to a close next week. So before we go, we want to remind you that we are currently accepting submissions for season four. And if you'd like to submit a story, check out our submission guidelines at readingoutloud.org. While you're there, you can also listen to past episodes, learn more about our authors, and check out a bunch of fun little extra stuff. Also, make sure you like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Team ROL. Next week, the last episode of the season and the finale of our season-long story, Unless It's About Me, by Ryan P. Duke. We'll see you then. For all of us at Reading Out Loud, I'm Brandon Paul Eels. Thanks for listening. 